Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So our title for tonight is Jonah Part 3. Obedience and repentance. Obedience and repentance. You know, specifically that word repentance meaning change. To have a change of mind. You know, you have the two languages. You have the Greek and the Hebrew. The Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Greek, New Testament. And if we look at the meaning of the word repent, you know, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it is to have a change of mind. And in the Hebrew, it is to turn around. To change your direction. And when both of those things come together, it's actually such a beautiful definition of what repentance actually means because we know that the things that we do flow out of the things that we believe. We do what we do because we believe what we believe. Our convictions, the deep beliefs that we hold influences the way we live our lives. And that's why God says in Romans 12 that if we are to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, if we are to live differently, then we need to think differently. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have a change of mind. A repentance, a turning around, a change that happens. And we need both these things in our lives, obedience and repentance. Now, there is no repentance without obedience. And obedience without repentance is just dead religion. Doing what God called us to do because we have to do it now. But there's no inward change that happens. And it's not sustainable and it will not produce much. Amen? But just to quickly recap... Part one and part two, looking at Jonah, the call to arise and go, God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because the evil has arisen before God. Very important note for us to remember that the thing that kicks off the whole story of Jonah while the grace of God is constantly on display, it starts with the wickedness of man provoking a holy God. And if there is no repentance, there will be judgment. Very important for us to remember And we saw in that first chapter that disobedience leads to death. Jonah is called to arise and go, arise and go, a theme that constantly goes throughout this book. But Jonah constantly goes down. Instead of arising in obedience, he goes down in disobedience, down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the bottom side of the boat, down into the sea, and eventually down into the fish. Disobedience will lead to death. And we also saw that our disobedience will cause unnecessary storms in our life. And as we reflect, we can all think back about some decisions that we made that caused some trouble in our lives that was unnecessary. Self-inflicted storms. Following God will inevitably produce storms in our lives. Trials, tribulation, God coming out of grace and producing faith that is more precious than gold as we go through fire. Amen. But disobedience is self-inflicted trouble that we bring upon ourselves. And we also saw that our disobedience also affect those around us. The sailors affected by Jonah's disobedience lost their cargo, their livelihood. It cost them something. But a sovereign God still accomplishing his purpose and at the end they gained something eternal while losing something temporal. And they started to worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible. But we stopped and reflected about that question in Verse 6, the captain coming to Jonah and say, what do you mean you sleeper? 
Arise and pray to your God. Maybe he will care if we perish. The unfortunate state of Israel and also the unfortunate state of the church throughout the generations, that when it comes to the schooling of reaching the nations, we are passive. We are asleep. It's not something that comes natural. We struggle with evangelism. We struggle to be a light and salt to this world. And we saw the reason is because we are not arising and praying to our God. In two senses, firstly, we do not know God intimately. And that's why we struggle to proclaim God to the world. Because it's difficult to speak about someone that you don't know. And for a lot of Christians and Christians in our modern day context, we've heard stories about God, but we've never experienced a relationship with God. It's not an intimate thing. It's a theoretical thing. It's a knowledge-based Christianity. It's not something that we know intimately. And we need to reflect on that. Do you know God? Or have you heard about God? Because there is a difference. Do you know him? How does your prayer life look? When do you pray? Why do you pray? Are you living an intimate life with God? Because it will flow out in praise to those around you. Like we said, we inevitably praise the things that we enjoy in life. And if we enjoy God, we praise God to those around us. The inevitable outflow of a relationship with God. <clears throat> and then we also said that it's because we do not pray and ask God to come and do a deep work in us that we fail to go out and reach the lost. Because Jesus says in Matthew 9, harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, go. No, therefore, pray. Pray. Pray is the key. Because when we pray to God, he comes and changes something on the inside and that when we go out, we actually have the conviction to do that sustainably. And not just a nice idea about something that we go and try, but to be sent out by God. The heart of God, because God does care whether people perish or not. Amen. And then we looked at chapter 2, Jonah in the belly of the fish. And how in our distress, God's grace is revealed because the grace of God many times doesn't look the way we think it's going to look. Jonah being passive, running away from God, what's the best thing that God can do for him? Is to shake him so that he wakes up from his passivity and calls out to God again. And in his distress, while he's busy drowning in the belly of a fish, all of a sudden, then Jonah prayed. And we see the same in our lives. That many times God has to come and out of grace and love cause some storms in our lives so that we actually call out to God again. Because we don't do that naturally. And it's the best thing God can do for us. To when we are passive, when we are disobedient, the best thing that a loving, gracious God can do is to come and shake us awake by any means necessary. So that when the last storm, the judgment of God comes, then we are found in Christ. Amen. Faithfully following, because disobedience will lead to death. Amen. But as we looked at all of those things, and a loving, gracious God coming in, also just extending his grace to us, that's many times passive. And as the church, we also need to be reminded of the grace of God for us. Yes, he forgives the world. Yes, he brings sinners in when they repent. But also for us when we re need repentance and turn to God, his grace is also available. When we fall away, when we become passive again and again, God sent the fish before Jonah cried out. God's grace is always extended first. But now the question that we need to ask ourselves as we'll be going through chapter three, and for those of you who know the rest of the story, 
is that while there is some obedience in Jonah's life, his heart didn't change. His actions might have changed. He eventually does what God told him to do, but inwardly he's still the same man. Nothing changed. He still gets angry when God relents of punishing the Ninevites when they repent. He's still angry. He still cries out to God, isn't this what I said when I was still in my country? I knew you were going to save them. Nothing changed in Jonah's heart. How can that be? How is that possible? You see, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6 and he says, we as fellow workers with Christ implore you, we urge you, we beseech you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The writer of Hebrews says, see that nobody fails to obtain the grace of God. In other words, we can go through all of these circumstances. God can come out of love and out of grace and shake us and do certain things in our lives, but we can fail to obtain what God wants to come and do. And we can go out the other side looking exactly the same. And we need to learn the lesson again and again. Sounds familiar. Unfortunately, it sometimes happens in our lives and also in the lives of those around us. Stuff happens. We say certain things to God, but eventually we're in exactly the same place again. Nothing changed inwardly. Maybe for a brief moment, some of our actions changed, but inwardly it wasn't sustainable. Nothing changed on the inside. How can that be? And how is it that the Ninevites changed so quickly? Again, the opposite, unfortunately. Israel also at that time, living in sin, King Jeroboam being evil in the sight of the Lord, doing evil things, and God sending prophets to Israel, but they repent like on a surface level, but inwardly there's no change. Many times the same is true for the church, and all of a sudden this wicked Ninevite, Gentile nation, repents and turns immediately. Why? What's the difference? So let's read through chapter 3 and see what we can learn. Bearing in mind, Jonah chapter 2 ended with the fish vomiting out Jonah, giving us some indication of what's happening. It's not a very beautiful picture. Eh? The fish vomiting Jonah out. For those of you who read in the Afrikaans, it translates it a little bit loosely. It says, you visit Jonah eight it spat Jonah out, but the right translation is vomited. He vomited Jonah out on dry land. Meaning that although Jonah said a couple of nice things in chapter 2, this beautiful psalm, God is still unhappy with Jonah. God knows inwardly nothing has changed. And he vomits Jonah out. Same picture as Revelation 3, that if you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God is not happy with Jonah. But we read chapter 3 verse 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. And again just for the logical guys that get stuck on little details like this, and you're thinking to yourself, no little bit of history, Nineveh was at most maybe 10 kilometers in breadth. How's that? A three days journey. Nineveh and the administrating little villages, if you can call it that, around that was about 60 to 90 kilometers in breadth. So then that makes sense, and then we can move on. Okay, verse four. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. <coughs> Interesting passage of scripture. And like I said this morning, the first time I read through this, and even now sometimes when I read through this, I get stuck on little details that you're not actually supposed to get stuck on. You know, it's not the point of the book. But I remember a couple of years ago in COVID time, we were also going through a couple of passages in Jonah. And I was also reading through this chapter three and I thought to myself, and I had a little bit of grace with our government, you know, because many times they make decisions and they say we should do certain things and you're just like practically thinking, but how's that gonna work? I can't see this working. And I have grace for them because obviously it's something that happened for the first time and they had to make a decision very quickly. Like these people, imagine this. Now, they say the animals also must wear sackcloth. How on earth, in 40 days, do you make a cloak to mourn for your cattle? Peter? Who? And like just logically thinking like if you take the sheep's wool and you make him a little coat and you put it on him, could you just not leave the wool on him in the first place? That's more save all. And also let no animals drink or eat. Imagine that running around trying to keep your cattle from eating the grass or drinking the water. I mean, just how? But hopefully they learned and they did a little bit better the second time. But I can just imagine the shepherds, you know, reading this paper and thinking, this is going to be a difficult fast. Like when you fast for three days, you try to minimize the activities that you do so that you don't, you know, tie yourself out. But running around keeping cattle and sheep from eating grass, that's a whole different story. And people say shutdown is difficult. Look at what these people had to do. But nonetheless, let's, let's get to the real meaning of the text and what is standing out here. And one of the things that we have to ask ourselves as we're reading through this passage of scripture and as we see the grace of God being revealed and we see disobedience and we see storms and stuff happening, the question is, when the grace of God is revealed, change needs to happen. Something needs to change here. Or better said, someone needs to change. Obviously, who needs to change? Christian is quite simple. God is not the one that needs to change. Man is the one that needs to change. And we read here in verse one to three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And for some of us sitting here, just that first verse is already an encouragement. Because God has told you to do certain things and he's given you a certain thing that you should go and do or maybe speak to someone or something that you need to equip yourself for and you haven't done that. 
been disobedient and you're wondering to yourself, man, have I disqualified myself now? Have I, have I missed my chance to be employed in the service of God and to do what he's called me to do? And the truth is by the grace of God, the word of God will also come to you a second time. And even a third and a fourth and a fifth. As long as we are breathing, the grace of God will be extended to us. But the word of God will come again. And the interesting thing is, like I said, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question, who needs to change here? And the answer is not God. The word of God came a second time, but it was exactly the same word. The thing that changed was the action of Jonah. In chapter 1 verse 3 we read, but Jonah got up, contrast, to flee to Tarsus, away from the presence of God. Chapter 3 verse 3, we see something different. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh as the word of the Lord commanded him. So Jonah was the one that needed to change and that makes sense to us. Whenever stuff happens in our lives and we go through certain circumstances and we wrestle with God, we're trying to figure certain things out and storms come, God is not the one that needs to go and sit and do introspection. He's not the one that needs to reevaluate his priorities and his plans and come up with a better plan or a better nature or better character. No, God is the one that remains constant. His plan is good. He's faithful. He's unchanging. God's plan will still remain the same. We are the ones that need to change. We are the ones in light of the grace of God that needs to do introspection. And something needs to shift in our hearts. And this is a lesson that we should learn. And again, it makes sense to us cognitively. Like in our heads it makes sense, but practically we struggle with it sometimes. I don't know why. You know, maybe we think for some of us God is going to make a little bit of an exception when it comes to his plans or his purposes or the things that he tells us. Because the word of God may come a second time, but it's going to be the exact same word. God is not going to bargain with us. He's not going to change his mind. It's not going to diff. It's not going to be something else. It's going to remain exactly the same. We are the ones that needs to change. And in light of that, we also need to see that many times the things that God calls us to do is not going to be something that we want to do. You know, in our modern day culture and in our western culture because we have put ourselves in the center of everything and we have a kind of an unhealthy obsession with ourselves, we have created a God in our minds that will never call us to do something that we don't want to do. I mean, that doesn't sound like God. Why will he call me to do something that I don't want to do or something that's going to be uncomfortable for me or something that's going to maybe, feels like it's going to expose me. Why would God do that? And the reason we reason like that is because we forget who God is and who we are. See, we forget many times that we are fallen, sinful man. We are not what we are supposed to be. Sin entered the world and it affects each and every one of us. You see, because the problem here, if Jonah was in the right relationship with God, in love with God, busy following God faithfully, and the word of God came to Jonah, it wouldn't have been a problem. You see that? In fact, Jonah would have rejoiced in the calling that God is busy making him part of his plan to carry out his mission and God will reward him for that eternally. I mean, that is the grace of God. He sends us out and proclaims the message of the gospel through us, then he saves the people and rewards us for it. That's the grace of God. And Jonah in his right mind, in right relationship with God, would have rejoiced in the calling of God. We wouldn't have despised it. And many times when we think the things that God's calling us to do 
It's not such a great thing. The problem doesn't lie with the character and the nature of God. It lies with the character and the nature of man. We need to do introspection and turn our hearts. Because our relationship with God isn't as it should be then. Amen? And in light of this, we need to ask ourselves the question tonight, and we've asked it a couple of times these last couple of months. But the question is, do you really want to hear the voice of God? Do you really want to hear the voice of God? Because if someone asked Jonah after this whole story, he would have said, no, I don't want to. Do you really want to hear the voice of God? Now, I remember I was just saved and I was still living with my parents and I was in the living room. Moiset Kamer, what's that in English? The lounge, the place where when the Domini comes, you go there where the nice stuff is. You're not allowed to play there or do stuff there. But it's where you keep the Domini or the pastor so that he doesn't come into the rest of the house and see what's really going on. But I was there. And I was watching a sermon about this wholehearted following of God. To say to God, Lord, whatever you're calling me to do, whenever you're calling me, I say yes. And I was very encouraged by that and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to get up now and I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to tell God, Lord, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, I'm ready. I wasn't even through my first line yet. And God said that I need to go and tell everything I did to my parents. Lying, manipulation, all of the stuff we did. And I got up, I finished my prayer and I was like, no, Lord, I mean future. Future tense, like the past is the past. Forget and forgive. Let's leave those things. Let's move forward. And the thing with God is that he is God. He's not going to debate with me. It will remain that thing for the rest of my life until I obey what God has told me to do. It will be nothing else. It will remain that thing. And I remember a couple of days after I was sitting on the couch watching TV with my dad. And I thought to myself, okay, well, there's not going to come some voice out of heaven. My dad's going to turn to me and say, so son, do you want to tell me anything? I need to initiate this now. I need to be obedient. And I remember telling him, dad, if mom comes home after work tomorrow night, I need to tell you guys a couple of things. I don't think he slept that night. Thinking to himself, man, what did this guy do now? And there's been a couple of instances like that through my life. And as I look back on the moments when I was not quick to obey, where this thing just kept on building and building, and I pressed into God, you can fast and do whatever you want to for as long as you want to. It will remain that thing. He's God. He's not going to negotiate with you. And my only regret when I look back is that I didn't obey sooner, each and every time. A holy, loving, gracious God coming to do good things. Amen. And for some of us, maybe we're sitting here tonight and we're like, yeah, I remember a time where God's leading came into my life, but it feels like God's silent the last while. One of the names of God is literally the word of God. God speaks. It's in his nature, it's in his character, it's what God does. He's the good shepherd, his sheep hear his voice. And the reality is that when God feels silent, that he's already spoken, but we either don't want to hear or we don't want to obey. Do you really want to hear the voice of God? Do you really want to hear what God says? And many times for us when we struggle to understand scripture as well, man, we read Bible but we think it's too difficult to understand. And obviously the more of scripture we know, the better we interpret scripture in general. If we know the big story, the little parts makes more sense. Amen? 
But many times it's because we draw near to God and we open our Bibles with an unwillingness to obey whatever God says. Then we don't understand because we don't want to understand. We, we shut off to certain things. You see, if you have a heart that is unwilling to obey Scripture, you will always have a mind unable to understand Scripture. If your heart is unable to obey, your mind will be unable to understand. You shut off to those things. You don't want to hear. You don't want to understand. Or you want to only see certain things. Makes sense. Amen? So now's the question, why doesn't Jonah change? He does what he said he was going to do. Remember when he was in the fish, he said, what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. One of those circumstances where Jonah says, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do what you say. That sounds familiar? Ever been there? Ever done that? Jonah in the belly of the fish, Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I'll do what you told me to do. And Jonah gets out and he does what he said he was going to do, but very unwillingly. And maybe that's the reality for some of us. We are doing, we are obeying, but unwillingly. Nothing changed inside of us. For some of us, maybe a less extent to some a greater one. It always reminds me in school, you know, when the math test came. Sitting there, Lord, if you get me through this one, I promise I'll study for the next one. And I actually remember there was this guy, I forgot his name, but in the beginning years when they tried to take religion out of schools and specifically prayer out of schools, he said you can try as much as you want to, but as long as there is math tests in school, there will be prayer in schools. Do what you want to, but if that student sits there with the math test in front of him, you better believe he's going to pray and cry out for help to God. But for some of us, maybe in different circumstances, a lot of things changed in our lives and stuff started to break down, maybe relationally, financially, job-wise, who knows? We told Lord, Lord, if you fix this, then. The first thing that we should realize that that is not biblical Christianity. That is not how we follow God. We do not follow God because he does certain things for, for us. We follow God because he is who he is. He is the almighty, gracious, loving creator of the whole universe. That's why we follow God. The faith of Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego. We know that our God can save us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. That's the faith we need. Not because God does certain things for us. And many times we just follow out of an unwillingness, you know, because when that moments come when we need God's help, we're also very aware of the sins in our life or the disobedience in our lives. Amen? That's why we tell God, Lord, if you save me this time, then I'll start to do what I'm supposed to do because you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And then for a while we do it very unwillingly sometimes. Nothing changes deeply. Why? What's the missing key? What's the ingredient missing? Jonah prayed a lovely prayer. He wrote a lovely psalm, sang a lovely song. But one thing was missing. What was it? And we see it here in the response of the Ninevites. We read here from verse 4 to 8. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That last part there. That is what was missing. You see, while Jonah said a lot of nice stuff in chapter 2, he never repented of his disobedience. He never took ownership of the sin in his life. And he disobeys very willingly, but no inward change happens because there's no repentance in Jonah's life. A lot of great things, but the one thing that should be there wasn't there. Repentance that leads to change. See, what is repentance? Repentance is taking ownership of our disobedience and taking ownership of the sin in our lives and bringing it before God so that he can extend grace. You see, the grace of God is what changes us. It's what empowers us to change. It's what's empowering sanctification that allows us to grow and look more like Jesus. But how do you receive the grace of God if you can't acknowledge that you need it? Amen? How do you receive the grace of God without acknowledging it that you need it? Hebrews 4 says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive grace in times of need. We need to acknowledge that we need grace in order for us to receive grace. And you see, not a worldly repentance, but a godly one. Scripture says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, it leads to life, but worldly sorrow leads to death. What's the difference? Worldly sorrow is when we are sad or when we are sorrowful because of the result of our sin. Look at where my sin got me. This is uncomfortable for me. This isn't nice for me. I wish I was in a better place. Therefore, I feel sorrowful. Are we sorry that we got caught? Where godly sorrow is that we are aware that we have sinned against a holy God. Like David prays in Psalm 51, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. A holy, loving, gracious God. This side of the cross, all the more, the one who sent his son to die. We have sinned against that God. We are aware that we've sinned against that God. That is godly sorrow. That is godly repentance that produces change. There's this lovely quote, I can't remember who said it, but it says, repentance is not when you cry, it's when you change. Amen? Not crying because of the result of the mess that our sin got us in, but changing because we know who we offended, a holy, righteous God that demands justice. Amen? And even when we get to the repentance part, we many times don't take the full blow. You know, in Afrikaans, they, there's a thing they call it a gut fell. It's when you know that you're about to receive a hiding, then you put it into your pan so that the blow is a little bit softer. Don't know if there's a word for that in English. And you know at school the next day you didn't do your homework and that specific teacher, he's going to give it to you. So you put in a couple of extra pair of underpants and your thickest pants that you can find to soften the blow. When your dad says go wait in the bathroom just to run past your room first. Stuff a couple of stuff in there. And the way we do, do that with repentance is how? 
And I catch myself doing this often. I actually did it this morning as I was busy praying. And I stopped myself. Saying, God, I just want to repent that sometimes I do a little bit off. That's doing that. That's not taking ownership. Or you know, Lord, that we people struggle with. Now, as you speak to your friends, men sickle most met. Men skrydet most nie recht nie. People don't get it right. People struggle with this. But what you actually want to say is that I struggle with this and I don't get it right. Many times when me and my wife fight as well, and she comes to me and she says, hey, we had this chat about responsibilities at home or things that you say you were going to do or stop doing or whatever the case might be. And then many times I tell her, you know, I'm sorry that I sometimes struggle a little bit with and then she stops me because she's a good wife. She says, no, that's not what you mean, eh? You mean that you are sorry that you struggle with, not sometimes a little bit. Eh? We do that. We don't take full responsibility and we don't take full ownership. And we kind of make the problem a, a little problem, not a big one. We don't deal with that as we should and we don't receive grace as we should and we don't change as we should. Amen? And why? Why is that? Because God knows. It's not that as if God doesn't know. He knows. So why do we do that? It's because many times we find ourselves in the same place as the king of Assyria, the king of Nineveh. And the opposite as well. And we ask the following question in verse 9. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Like we said last week, we many times doubt as people that should know better as the church. And we find ourselves in difficult situations again and again and disobeying again and again. And we ask the question, who knows? Will God relent? Will God repent? Who knows? And we know because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that God will relent when we repent. But the opposite is also true. And maybe more so in our Western culture. That it's not out of fear that we don't know if God is going to relent, but we overemphasize the grace of God. And we say that there's no need for repentance because if God is gracious and Christ died for us, then what's the need? God is just simply going to allow us to go into heaven. But we read here in Romans 2, verse 4 to 5, the following. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, the kind, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath in the God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That puts it in a different perspective. Not knowing that the grace and the kindness and the forbearance of God is supposed to lead us to repentance in light of God's holiness, knowing how the book starts. The evil has arisen before me. Forty days and none of you will be overthrown. In light of that, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because if we don't repent, we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. I'm no expert, but one of the things that you don't want to store up is wrath. Amen? You can hoard a couple of things. Don't hoard that. 
but judgment will come. Yeah, like we said last week as well, in Acts 17 verse 31, Paul says, the time of ignorance God overlooked. It's done. It's past. It's no longer there. But now he demands that all people everywhere repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge this world in righteousness by a man. And of that he's given assurance by raising him from the dead. You see, when Jesus comes back, you will either be covered by him or judged by him. But it will be Christ doing the work. Amen. Do not stop wrath. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance when we know that God's holiness and God's grace and in light of that, we draw close to God and we deal with him. Amen. Because it says there, 40 days and none of you will be overthrown. Symbolic to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. Meaning that if you continue in your stubbornness, if you continue in your disobedience, if you continue in your hardening of heart, you will not enter the promised land. You will not make it where God is leading us. Not because God is unwilling to relent, not because God is unwilling to extend grace, but because we are unwilling to accept and to deal with the things in our lives that God is revealing to us. Amen. I end off us with Jonah 3, verse 10, and Luke 24, verse 47. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Luke 24, verse 47. And that repentance for sin, speaking about Jesus, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. See in Proverbs 28, verse 13, we read that whoever conceals his sin, whoever covers up his transgression, will expect no good thing, will not prosper. But whoever repents, and puts away his sin, he will find mercy. The Afrikaans said it to me, people can say, Sonder belay in laat staan. Repents and puts away, turns from his evil ways, he will receive mercy. You see, Jesus came unlike Jonah. Jo- Jonah did a bad job, going to a city that he was called to reach for one day, proclaiming half of the gospel, and going to sit on a hill outside the city to see what would happen to the city. Jesus also came, but not to a far country, he literally came from heaven to earth. We read in 1 John, in John 1 verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. Not for one day, not a day's journey, but for years. Jesus Christ himself became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Repentance and forgiveness. Amen. And when Jesus eventually went to the hill, it was not to see what would happen to the city, but it's to die on the hill so that we can know what happens when we repent. God will relent because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. The full gospel, grace and truth. The reason why Christ came, our evil has arisen before a holy God, but sacrificed himself for us so that when we repent, God will relent. If we repent, the state says in 1 John 1 verse 8, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So if you are sitting here tonight and you cannot think of a single thing that you need to repent of, the scripture says you are deceived. 
You have a skewed view of yourself. But verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. Because who says we fall short? God does. Not man. Amen? The full gospel. Like our motto also says a shofar, a vision statement, the whole gospel to the whole world. First, for us, in us, and then through us. Amen? Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you. And for some of us, Lord, as we go through this, Lord, we're reminded, Lord, of the things that you've called us to do. Repentance, Lord, that needs to happen, forgiveness, reconciliation, restitution. Where we were wronged by certain people or we have wronged others, Lord. And some of our hearts may be beating in our chest, Lord, knowing that we know what you're calling us to do, Father. We know who you're calling us to reach out to. We know what we're supposed to bring into the light, what we are supposed to confess to those around us. But there's an unwillingness. And if that is you tonight, your heart's beating in your chest, you know what God expects of you, but you're struggling. Just there where you stand, lift your voice to God. Say, Lord, that's me, Lord. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm struggling, Father. And for some of us, we're reasoning, we're thinking, no, but I don't know how that's going to work out, I don't know how that's going to play out, what the end result's going to be. Do you know what we call that, that reasoning, what we do when God's word comes to us? That's the knowledge of good and evil. Trying to figure out by ourselves whether this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. But God is calling us to move back to simplicity. Where God says and we do. God says and we do. We obey. Not because we figure out what the end result is going to be. or We like the, the way that it's going. No. But because we know the character of God. A holy, just, gracious, loving Father. That wants to come and give life. And life in abundance. And know that that disobedience, that thing that you're struggling to do struggling to lay down, struggling to confess, whatever it might be, it will lead to death. You will either arise and do what God is calling you to do, move closer to God, or you will go down in disobedience. And it will lead to death. Don't do that. Don't delay. And for some of us, we're here and we, we're struggling to listen with an open heart. When we are honest with ourselves, we don't really want God to come and do and say whatever He wants to. We allow God to come and work in certain areas, to come and give certain leadings, but, but everything is scary. That is, you lift up your voice to God. Just begin to speak to God. Just tell Him, Lord, this is how I feel. I'm struggling to open up myself fully. I don't know where this might lead, Lord. I don't know what you might do and maybe in the back of your mind you, you're worrying that maybe God is going to address that thing maybe he's going to go there I can promise you he will 
think about the first thing that God's going to do, address or deal with. But do that. Loving, gracious Father. As we're standing here tonight and God is revealing certain things to you, just know that it will not change. It will remain that thing until you obey. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you know that you maybe have heard stories of God, but you don't really know God yourself. People speak about the presence of God, we experience God's leading. It's a foreign concept to you. You don't know what that actually means. You've never experienced that. Scripture says he's the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. And if you don't hear his voice, if you don't experience his presence, then that means that you're not part of his flock. But salvation is possible if we repent. Turn to God. Just there where you stand, if that is you, lift up your voice to God and say, Lord, here I am, Father. Save me, lead me, Lord. I don't know even what to say. Say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Lead me. Whatever it is that God lays on your heart, the things that come to mind, whether it's things to repent of, turn away from, confess, whatever it is, just do what God tells you to do. But be quick to obey. And if you are uncertain whether you're hearing right or not, go to someone that you know that follows God. Check in with them, walk a road with them. But whatever it is, don't just stand here tonight. Move. For some of us, maybe God is pressing a certain person on your heart, someone that you need to phone, be reconciled with. Maybe you wronged them or they wronged you, whatever the case might be. But if God is pressing it on your heart, do that. Be quick to obey. The first thing, when we are done here tonight, pick up that phone and call or go to them if, if that's the case. But be quick to obey. Don't delay. None of you had 40 days. We don't know if we have 40 days. Tomorrow was promised to no one. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your working hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing, giving grace, leading. We pray, Lord, that we might be quick to obey, Lord, as we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, as we draw near to the throne of grace to find grace in time of need. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.